0: Luke chapter 20, verse 45, through Luke chapter 21, verse 4. The scripture says this, Then in the audience of all the people he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have cast of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people who have gathered. Thank you for the cross that you sent your son to, and thank you for the victory that was won there. I pray each and every one of us may experience that victory, having overcome sin in our lives, and having the ability to show the gratefulness and thankfulness that we express because of it. I pray, God, that you would help us to live holy lives. I pray that you would be with us as we hear your word. May we make proper application from it. We ask, God, your blessing in your son's name. Amen. Amen.
1: A few months ago, our daughter, Piper, um, did gymnastics at the Y. And... Um, it was once a week, and there was a small group of parents that would always be there to, to be able to watch their kids do gymnastics. And um, one of those weeks, as we were watching, there was this woman who walked up. And she was, she was getting really close to people. She wasn't speaking to them at all. Um, she was even kind of glancing over some people's shoulders at their phone um, and it was—it was—it was, it was making us uncomfortable. You could see everybody was kind of uneasy, kind of unsure of, of what was going on, what to make of the situation. Um, again, she wasn't speaking. She wasn't making eye contact with people. It was just there was there was something that seemed to miss. And uh, and and I, I was kind of wondering: is there, is there? Do I need to like go get somebody to talk with her? Like uh, we we weren't sure what what to make of it. Well, then I made the mistake of making eye contact with her. And when I made eye contact with her, she immediately walked right toward me. I, mean, I was standing, I was holding Bodhi, and I was wondering, like, do I need to put him down? What, what's, he's going to wander away. Like, but, but, like, what's about to happen? I don't know, because she just, and she didn't have a smile on her face. She was just looking very just straightforward, and she was just coming right toward me. And so I just kind of stood there, tried to smile, tried to look welcoming, like I'm friendly. Um, and she gets to me. She's standing in front of me, and she says, it was it was hard for her to get it out, and she says, I, it, I, ma- I made these cards in my backpack. Would, would you like to buy one? They're 25 cents. In that moment, I was just like, oh my goodness, how could I? I misread this entirely. I was afraid that, I thought she was a threat, and here she just like, she was just trying to screw up the courage to ask somebody if they would buy a greeting card from her, and it It was a reminder of a really basic principle. Things are not always what they seem. I mean, here I was, I was ready to, like, go get the authorities. Like, YMCA staff, come handle this awkward situation. She's a threat. She's just trying to sell some greeting cards that she had made with, like, Yoshi on them. Things are not always what they seem. Well, we see that here in the passage this morning. There's going to be two short accounts that we're looking at today in Luke. And they teach us, they remind us of the same basic truth. Things are not always what they seem. Especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. Things look one way at first, and then they turn out to be completely different when you fully understand the situation. Things look one way on the outside, and then it's completely different when you see on the inside. And so Jesus is going to remind us of this truth. He's going to teach us, Things are not always what they seem. He's going to peel back that outer layer, and he is going to get to the heart. So let's look at the first passage together. And here's what this passage teaches us. Those who make much of themselves will be condemned. Those who make much of themselves will be condemned. Those who exalt themselves will be brought low. Let's read it again, verses 45 through 47. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now this teaching here isn't new. Jesus has said similar things. He said lots of things about the religious leaders. He was just in a very long confrontation with them. It's an important theme that Jesus keeps coming back to. Luke is making sure that it sticks with us. The religious leaders, they are in positions of authority, in in positions of influence, and they give this appearance of being righteous, of being close to God. They look the part And so people are drawn to them, people highly esteem them, people make much of them, because they look like they're close to God. And Jesus is reminding us, they're not. They're not righteous. They are in fact abusing their authority. They are abusing their influence, and they are proving themselves to be God's enemies. Because they don't live to please God. They live to please themselves. They wore the nicest clothes, they sought out the attention of other people, and yet they're taking advantage of the poor and needy. Jesus says there that they devoured widows' houses. That's important. We want to store that away as we continue through this passage. They 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 devoured widows' houses. So, in some respect, they are supposed to care for widows. Widows would have been at a great disadvantage in that society. They would have they wouldn't have had as many safeguards that we maybe have today to care for them. Things like being beneficiaries of life, life insurance policies or any help that might come from other sources. Primarily, it was the job of God's people to care for widows. And the scribes, instead of caring for them, are taking advantage of them, probably taking their, their finances, greedily taking their money from them. And so Jesus says, they are devouring widows' houses, greedy for gain. They're puffed up with pride. They want to be exalted. And Jesus is making it very clear to anyone and everyone who can hear, they will be condemned. Now, did you notice verse 45? Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but he's doing it in the hearing of all the people. If you remember from last week, Jesus had just finished up this pretty significant confrontation with the the religious leaders. They are right there. They hear what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you receive praise now, but one day you'll receive condemnation. Right now you are commended, but one day you're going to be condemned. The religious leaders were exalting themselves. They were being exalted in the eyes of the people. And they loved it. They loved the attention. They loved the praise. But one day, they would be brought low by God. Those who are exalted will be brought low. So Jesus is putting forward the religious leaders as a negative example to us. We're going to see a negative example this morning, and we're going to see a positive example. Here's the negative example. Don't follow them. Don't be like them. Don't live like them. The scribes lived for the praise of the people. They lived to satisfy themselves. They are motivated by love for self. On the outside, they look good. On the inside, they are rotten. Jesus has talked about that before. The outside of the cup is clean, but the inside is dirty. Things are not always what they seem. And so we need to learn from them. We need to learn from their example. We need to think about our motivations. We need to think about why we do what we do. We need to think about why we admire who we admire. The religious leaders were admired by the people. The people were drawn to the religious leaders. Who am I drawn to and why? Why am I drawn to them? What motivates me to do what I do? Love of self. Love of praise. Seeking to satisfy ourselves. Sin is enticing. We can easily be motivated by all of those sinful desires and we can trick ourselves and we can trick others. On the outside, we can look good. On the outside, we can look put together. On a Sunday morning, I can look good. I can look put together. But on the inside, we are capable of being driven by the desires of the flesh. Those scribes, from an external perspective, they were just checking off all the right boxes. Checking off just the right boxes. They were giving these, these long prayers, these eloquent prayers. But it wasn't because they were eager to speak to God. It wasn't because they just wanted to be in God's presence and just wanted to talk to him. Jesus makes it clear it was for a pretense. They wanted to, to look like they were wanting to speak to God. But really, they just wanted to impress others. They just wanted other people to think highly of them. They wanted brownie points from the people. And so we got to do a heart check ourselves. We can be just as guilty as them. I think about myself standing up here preaching. What is my motive in even speaking to you? And this week, I had to wrestle with this text in the context of standing up in front of people. I am, I am just as tempted to be like the scribes, just I hope you all like me. I hope, I hope you come up afterwards and say something nice to me. Instead of, I hope that God in his grace encourages you. I hope he cuts you to the heart if you don't know him. Like all of those desires, those don't come as easily. It's just like, man, I hope that nobody comes up and says, I disagree with your interpretation. Oh, man, that would just crush me. No, that shouldn't be where my heart's desire is. Our motives matter. Our motives matter. And so those that are driven like the scribes, those who are driven by by a spiritually dead heart, a heart that has not in God's grace been made alive again, those that are driven by this this heart that is filled with love for self, Jesus says they will face condemnation. He does not mince words. They will face eternal punishment in hell. So that's the first passage. The first passage teaches us those who make much of themselves will be condemned. Things are not always what they seem. So let's look at the second passage. The second passage, it teaches us the inverse of the first. It is the opposite. The second passage teaches us that those who make much of God will be exalted. In the first passage, those who make much of themselves will be condemned. In the first passage, those who are exalted get brought low. In the second passage, those who are low ultimately get exalted. So let's read that second passage again, starting in chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So this woman was poor. That's what sets her apart from everyone else in the temple. She had no money. She was financially destitute. She was not well off at all. But she was more than just poor. She was more than than just financially needy. She was also a widow. The scribes were those who devour widows' houses. They were the negative, the, the negative example in the passage. And now, this widow, one who's, whose house may very well have been devoured, is being put forward as the positive example. Mistreated, taken advantage of by the religious leaders, no safeguards in place outside of the religious community to help her. She had no husband who could provide. She had no husband who could protect she was destitute in every sense of the word. She felt her need more acutely. She was dependent upon God in every sense. She felt her need more strongly than the rich. The rich in this story, they had the luxury of being able to forget that they needed God. Unless God like uniquely intervened, the rich would have food, The rich would have clothing, a roof over their heads, all that they need in life, and more, even if they forget that God is their provider. I think we can relate to this. We often pray before meals. I went years of my life without praying before I ate. It is not a command that you must pray before you eat. But I absolutely was forgetting that God was my provider. Easy for me to forget, because God in his kindness still let me have food even when I forgot that he was my provider. The poor widow doesn't have that luxury. The poor widow is reminded every moment of every day that she needs God to protect her. She needs God to provide for her. She is utterly dependent on God. She is, she is destitute. In society's eyes, she has nothing. And yet, even so, she had two small copper coins. These would have been two of the smallest coins in circulation today, or at that time. Uh, if you have a Bible that does footnotes, your Bible might say in the footnotes how much that coin was worth. It was worth like one 128th of a day's wages. So we're talking like pennies, but le- like less than pennies. This is nothing. She had these little pennies. And she, she risked that little bit of financial security that she had to obey God, to give her offering. And she gave it all. She gave all that she had. And Jesus says that she gave more than the rich. Now, how does that work? How did she give more? She only gave two copper coins. So were the rich just putting in one copper coin? Like, How did she give more than them? Well, Jesus is saying that she gave more in God's eyes. In God's eyes, the widow gave more than everyone else. Not in the eyes of the people in the temple. Everyone else in the temple, they would have thought nothing of her gift. Two small coins. That's nothing. You find that kind of change on the ground, and let's be honest, you are more likely to leave it on the ground than to pick it up. Like, that's a hassle I have to bend over. It's dirty. I don't like dirty things. I don't want to touch those two coins. My kid, maybe he'll grab it. I'm going to leave it there. You put those, those coins in the offering box, the counter is like, now I have to count that? That's annoying. It's a tiny gift in the eyes of the people. But it is a far greater gift than anyone else's gift that day in God's eyes. Because she gave everything that she had. God measures the gift, not by how large it is, but by how much remains. God measures the gift by how much is left. And she had nothing left. She had no money left to spend however she'd like on whatever she'd like. The rich, they gave and they had a surplus. So they could spend however they like on whatever they like. But the widow didn't. And because of that, God valued her gift as far greater than the gifts of the rich. Through her giving, the widow showed that she trusted God. The widow showed her dependency on God. The widow showed that she needed God and she knew it. In her giving, she showed that she wasn't concerned with getting all the praise for herself. So a natural question. What do we do with this passage? Do we need to empty our bank accounts? Do we need to put all of our money in the offering plate in the back? Should I like literally stop preaching right now, dismiss you all to go to the nearest ATM, which is the TCU ATM in the Martins parking lot, if you're curious to know? Of course not. That's not what we should do. Jesus speaks here without qualification. He speaks here without giving any caveats. He speaks here without saying, yeah, but let me also say this. And he does it to make a powerful point. He does it so that the hearers, that's us, have to stop and think. We can't get out of, we can't get away from what he's saying. Now, it is entirely possible that you could hear the words in this passage. You could go out, you could empty your bank account, you could give all of your money to God in a variety of ways, to really good ministries, to missionaries, to the church, and then you could live on the street for the rest of your life. It's possible, but it's probably not that likely. I probably, I, I, not probably, I don't. I don't need to be convinced to keep my money for myself. Like, I don't need somebody to say, Colin, you better make sure that you don't give all your money away. I'm pretty good at that. I am pretty good at spending my money on what I want to spend it on and not giving all of it away to God. So Jesus doesn't need to give a qualification here. He doesn't need to say, what is also very true, be a good steward of your money. He doesn't need to say, here's the example of the poor widow. She gave everything that she had. Also, just so you know, you don't have to actually do exactly that. I want you to be a good steward of your money. Being a good steward, that's biblical. And that typically doesn't mean giving all of your money away, even to really good causes. For most of us, we have a responsibility to a family. We have a responsibility... To, to others in our life, to use our money well for the sake of our community. So being a good steward is important. Jesus is not saying otherwise. But what he is saying, it's a powerful point that goes beyond money. Jesus is making us stop and think, not just about how we spend our money, but about the motives of our heart. Why do I do what I do? Who am I serving with what I do? Why do I admire who I admire? This poor widow, she gave everything that she had to live off. She gave everything to God. The scribes, even the rich, they had no thought of God. They had no thought of their need for Him. They lived for themselves. She lived humbly and trusting herself to God. The scribes, they lived for themselves. They devoured widows' houses. They literally stole money from widows, and here is this widow giving what little money that she has back to God. The widow and her giving showed entirely different motives. She didn't give to make much of herself. She didn't give to draw attention to herself, and any attention that she might have gotten would have been negative. It would have been like, like, like scoffing, Maybe some chuckling. Look at how how little she has. Maybe, like the best case scenario, maybe some pity, but not praise. They wouldn't have praised her for her giving. The scribes wanted the limelight. The scribes wanted the attention. They wanted the honor. And the widow here, she wanted to make much of God. She wanted to honor the Lord with what she had. She wanted to give it to God. She wasn't concerned with the praise. She wasn't concerned with the limelight. She wasn't looking to be noticed by anyone. She was just giving to God with a pure heart. And that is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. God operates in ways that are opposite, that are antithetical to the ways that we would naturally think. Our world values the rich and famous. Our world values the successful, the eloquent, the influential. But that's not the way that God's value system works. God draws near to the humble. To those who see and recognize their spiritual poverty. Those who see and recognize, I need God. The scribes were thinking, I need praise. I need more for myself. And the the humble, poor widow said, I need God. She was the most unassuming person. But Jesus takes notice of her because of her actions. And he says, she actually is the one in this story who is worthy of the praise. The crowds are not thinking to praise her. The crowds are thinking to praise the scribes. And he is saying, she is the one who is not making much of herself, but is making much of God. Things are not always what they seem. So this is what we need to do. We need to do the hard work of examining ourselves. We need to ask ourselves those hard questions of why do we do what we do? Who do we live for? Why do I admire who I admire? And then we need to ask the Lord to help us to see things the way he does. To have his value system. Not the value system of the world but him. So we've seen two examples this morning. We've seen the scribes, and we've seen the poor widow. Am I looking to make much of myself, or am I making, looking to make much of God? And we've seen those examples in our story and how they played out. I want to leave you with one more example this morning. Jesus himself. Jesus was worthy of wearing the best robes. Jesus was worthy of being praised. He was worthy of the best seats in the synagogues. Jesus was worthy of the places of honor at all of the feasts. He deserved all of that and so much more, infinitely more. Jesus deserved to be worshipped. That's something even the scribes weren't looking at. Jesus even deserved that. But instead of wearing fine garments, his garments were divided up among Roman soldiers. And a crown of thorns was placed on his head. Instead of being showered with greetings in the marketplaces, he was showered with curses from the crowd. Instead of taking the place of honor at feasts, he took the place of dishonor upon the cross. He took that place. Things are not always what they seem. The condemnation that we deserve He received that instead. Jesus took the lowest place. And one day he will be exalted and we will see him as he really is. When it comes to the good news of the gospel itself, things are not always what they seem. And aren't we glad for that? 1 Peter 3 expresses the gospel like this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The one who was entirely innocent, entirely righteous, suffered in the place of sinners. Suffered in the place that we deserved to suffer. He suffered in the place of the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us back into right relationship with God. And so if you're sitting here this morning, and you haven't turned from your life of sin, you haven't believed the good news of the gospel... If you haven't believed the good news that Jesus suffered in the place of sinners, of whom you are one, there is hope. Believe in him today. Believe the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you might have eternal life. And then walk in obedience to him the rest of your days. It doesn't end when you say, I believe and I trust. You Walk with him the rest of your days. It's just another example here, even in the gospel, of how things are not always what they seem. Because in the gospel, we lose our life, Jesus says, in order to gain it. That is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. To follow Jesus, it won't guarantee you an easy life or, or a better life by the standards that our world operates on, but it will be a far better life from an eternal perspective. Apart from Christ, we are all the scribes. Apart from Christ, we live for ourselves. We love for ourselves. We jockey for positions so that we can try and end up on top. I want people to think well of me. I want to be praised. I want to make a name for myself. I want to make much of myself. That is us apart from Christ. But in Christ, we are a new creation. Having been made alive with Christ, the grace by which we were saved is the same grace by which we continue to live day by day by day. We are strengthened by grace, not to live for ourselves, but to live for God. Now that's a battle in our hearts that we're going to be having until the day that we enter into eternity. For believers, our hearts, they are, they are complicated We are constantly making decisions, living our lives with mixed motives. But by God's grace, we can grow in grace. And practically speaking, how do we do that? We find that grace as we get in his word. The more that we are in his word, the more that our minds are renewed. Read Romans 12. The more that our minds are renewed, the more that we can see things the way that they really are. The more that we can see things as God sees things, the more that that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He aligns our value system with His. The more we're in the Word, the more we see things the way that God does. And the more that we see things the way that God does, we make it our prayer. And we say, God, give me the strength. God, enable me. God, do the work in my heart to live less and less for myself and to live more and more for you. To live less and less like the scribes of Luke 20 and to live more and more like the poor widow of Luke 21. And even more than to look to her as the example, to ultimately look to Jesus. He is our great Savior. He's our great King. He took the lowest place that we might be seated with him in the heavenly places. What a marvelous reality that is. The way that things really are. So, how did Jesus take the lowest place? He went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross, and and he bore our sins on the cross. And that's what we want to remember even this morning as we turn to take communion. We remember Jesus' death. We remember what happened. In the ultimate reversal in human history. The one worthy of all praise. The one worthy of all adoration. He counted the cost. He considered the cost. And he ultimately, for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12 says, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you We thank you for your son who willingly laid down his life, who said, I will give up my life for the sake of rebels. I will give up my life for sinners, for your enemies. Thank you for him. Thank you that he endured the cross, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he endured all of the agony of death. In his body, he bore our sins. And so we thank you for him. We marvel that he paid that price. And Lord, we pray that you would make us to be a people that that praise you for him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.